Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I'm your host, Nikki Mandiola. For this episode of Mamas, I decided to mix it up a bit. I have always been fascinated with old Hollywood, which I believe is what inspired my desire to pursue theatrical training. Spending many years in theaters, I've also come to another conclusion. No matter where you go, or what city you may be in, most theaters claim to have a ghost of some kind roaming the premises. This, of course, spikes my interest as well because of my love of all things spooky. During my time at university, the adjoining theaters I performed in were rumored to have a spirit of their own. I cannot say that I didn't experience some strange happenings, but I can say that I didn't see the apparition myself. This is probably due to the fact that every time I had to walk through those theaters alone, I closed my eyes and repeated aloud, I don't want to see you, over and over. But hey, who can really say? Anyway, let's get down to the business and first learn about the life of this famous silent film star before we can learn about her afterlife. Today's topic is Olive Thomas. Olive Thomas was born Oliva R. Duffy, or as she would claim, Oliveretta Elaine Duffy, on October 20th, 1896, in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, to parents James and Rena Duffy of Irish descent. She was the eldest of three children. Her father was a steelworker, and after a tragic accident on the job in 1906, causing him to lose his life, Thomas and her family moved to McKees Rock, Pennsylvania. She and her siblings often stayed with her grandparents while her mother took up work at a local factory to help the family get by. Eventually, her mother remarried and had another child, which became Thomas's half-sibling. Due to this new addition, Olive left school at the age of 15 in order to support her family. She found work selling gingham at Joseph Horn's department store for a total income of $2.75 a week. In April of 1911, at the age of 16, Olive married a man by the name of Bernard Crew Thomas and kept his last name throughout the rest of her life. The marriage was no picnic, and during this time, Olive went to work for a major department store in Pittsburgh called Kaufman's. In 1913, after two years together, Olive filed for divorce, citing desertion and cruelty as the reason, and she left Pennsylvania for New York City and moved in with relatives. There, she eventually found a job at a Harlem department store to support herself. In 1914, while living in the city, Olive entered and won the most beautiful girl in New York City, a contest held by commercial artist Howard Chandler Christie. Winning this competition helped Thomas to establish her career as an artist model, and she would later pose for artist Harrison Fisher. She would also go on to be featured on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Her session with Fisher proved to be profitable, as he went on to write a letter of recommendation to Florence Ziegfeld Jr., who was mounting a series of theatrical reviews called Ziegfeld Follies at the new Amsterdam Theater in New York City, which Thomas was then hired to perform in 
thus beginning her stage career in June of 1915. Her popularity and follies led Thomas to be cast in Ziegfeld's more scandalous Midnight Frolic Show. During her stint in Follies, Thomas began an affair with Ziegfeld, who was married to actress Billy Burke. But the relationship didn't last long, as Olive broke it off when Ziegfeld refused to leave his wife to be with her. She also continued to model during this time, and became the first Vargas girl by the artist of the same name known for his pictures of pinups. In July of 1916, Thomas signed her first film deal with International Film Company. She goes on to make her on-screen debut in a film serial called Beatrice Fairfax. In 1917, Thomas makes her first full-length debut in a Paramount Pictures production of A Girl Like That. After leaving International Film Company during the same year, Thomas went on to sign a deal with Triangle Pictures. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. During all of this, in early 1916, Thomas meets actor Jack Pickford, the brother of one of the most successful silent film stars, Mary Pickford, and the pair fell in love. The couple eloped in October of 1916, and Thomas did her best to keep the marriage under wraps. This was in order to assure the public didn't assume her success in film was due to her association with the Pickfords. Shortly after signing with Triangle Pictures, however, news of their nuptials broke. Thomas went on to make several successful films with Triangle Pictures, but eventually left to sign with Selznick Pictures Company in 1918, where she made a total of $2,500 a week. There, Thomas made her most famous movie called The Flapper, which debuted in 1920, where she was the first actress to portray the flapper lifestyle on screen. This, however, would be the last of her films she would ever see premiere. Let's take a peek at her and Pickford's relationship for a moment. The pair were very much in love, but the marriage was tumultuous. They argued constantly, and in order to make up, they would shower each other with lavish, expensive gifts. Thomas herself was actually known for her extreme spending habits, buying expensive clothes, jewelry, and cars for her husband. The couple was also known for their ability to party. This takes us to August of 1920. With their relationship on the rocks, due to prolonged separation making films, Olive and Jack decide to take a second honeymoon to Paris in order to hopefully bring them closer together. On the night of September 5th, 1920, the pair went out for a night on the town, stopping in nightclubs along the Montmartre, drinking and possibly doing other drugs. According to Jack, the rest of the night went something like this. They arrived at the Hotel Ritz, where they were staying during the duration of the trip, around 3 a.m. Pickford went straight to bed, while Thomas complained of a headache and stayed up writing a letter to her mother. Around 4 a.m., Pickford awoke to tell Thomas that the light from the desk lamp was bothering him and suggested she take a sleeping pill or aspirin and come to bed. Olive went to the bathroom to do so, and she either did or did not turn on the light, depending on what variation you read, when Jack heard a shattering of glass and Thomas scream. 
he rushed to her side to discover that Thomas had taken a drink from his bottle of mercury bichloride, which was used to topically treat the sores he had from his chronic syphilis. The label of the glass bottle was in French, and Thomas allegedly thought it was either water or sleeping pills. Pickford immediately called for a doctor and did his best to make Olive vomit, feeding her several glasses of water and eggs amongst other food items. This could have possibly prolonged her agony, however, by diluting the poison. Thomas was rushed to the American hospital in Paris, where she died five days later on September 10, 1920, at the age of 25. After her death, rumors began to circulate about what really caused this famous star on the rise to pass at such an early age. Some claimed that Thomas committed suicide after a fight with Pickford over his alleged infidelities, or after discovering that Pickford gave her syphilis. Another claimed that Pickford tricked Thomas into drinking the poison in order to collect on her insurance money. All rumors were eventually squashed by good friends of the pair who stated that although Pickford and Thomas had issues, they loved each other and that neither would ever do such a thing. In the years following her death, another rumor about Thomas began. It is said that her ghost haunts the place where she had her stage debut in Follies, the New Amsterdam Theater in New York City. There are many accounts of sightings of her spirit at the theater, but three stood out to me the most. The first takes place just a few years following her death. Stagehands at the New Amsterdam began to tell friends about meeting Olive backstage, which, of course, was deemed impossible. When doubted about their encounter, the stagehands would describe how Thomas looked when she approached them. Her clothing is what struck them as peculiar at the time. She wore a green beaded dress, headpiece, and sash, all of which were a part of her stage costume for Follies in 1915. The only new addition to this ensemble is the fact that she seemed to be holding a blue glass bottle in her hand. The next account is a variation of the previous encounter. A workman for the theater in 1952 claimed to have seen Thomas's ghost not once, but twice. He described her outfit from Follies to a T and mentioned that the sash she wore also had the name Olive written across it. The workman claimed that he didn't need this help in identifying Thomas's apparition, however. He had worked for the theater during the run of Follies as a young man and recognized the actress right away. This last story takes place over 70 years after Thomas's passing. The new Amsterdam had, after many years, fallen into disrepair. Disney acquired the building and began renovation of the venue. The man who was put in charge of management of the project was Dana Amendola, who is now the Vice President of Operations at Disney Theatrical Group. While the venue was under construction, a security guard was hired to patrol the theater during the night. Around 2.30 one morning, Amendola's phone rang, and when he answered, he was faced with the sound of the now hysterical security guard. While doing his rounds at the theater, 
The guard was crossing the stage when his flashlight picked up an image of a young woman. She was wearing a beaded dress, headpiece, and sash while holding a blue glass bottle. The guard was shocked to see anyone, of course, as he thought he was the only one in the building. He called out to the woman to get her attention, and she turned to him, blew him a kiss, and walked right through the wall to the outside of the 41st Street. The guard had called his boss to inform him of his immediate resignation. There are some other interesting bits I found about this haunting. Thomas's spirit is known to be benign, but she can be temperamental, especially when ignored. This has led to the cast and crew of the New Amsterdam making it a point to say hello when they arrive to work and goodbye when they clock out for the day to the two portraits of Olive that hang backstage. She is also known to be more active when people of her generation visit the theater. Women who were Ziegfeld girls in the early 20th century would visit the theater to find that one of their own had never left. Thomas is seen more often by members of the opposite sex as well. Stories claim she likes to flirt with men, primarily maintenance and security staff, and has been quoted saying, Hi fella, before vanishing in front of them. Lastly, Olive Spirit has been spotted on the now abandoned roof of the New Amsterdam. The roof was once the location of a glass dance floor, which was designed so that wealthy men could pay to stand below and look up women's skirts and where flappers could tease the men as a form of entertainment. Thomas is still seen there, presumably continuing her work as a performer. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover, or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas.